0: Um, if you've got your Bibles, uh, could you turn, please, to Acts uh, chapter 2? What version of the Bible do you normally read from? Doesn't matter. Okay, right, cool. Okay, no, that's fine. I've got ESV, okay. So we'll, uh, if you can do Acts chapter 2, um, and we're going to read the verses that are sort of like the template of all of this like foundation series for what you know Christian life should be like, what the church should be like, what the church should feel like, and then we're going to move on to some other verses in... Uh, later on in Acts uh, chapter 4. So here you go, Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says this, the fellowship of the believers, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those uh, who were being saved. This whole story is just about the... The explosive start of the beginning of the church. This is what the church looked like. It was what the, sort of like it felt like, that they were committed together to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to doing life together, to keeping Jesus at the centre of everything they're doing, taking communion, and then to praying together as often as they could. Uh, and sometimes, do you ever think we make church quite complicated? Uh, I do. I think... Sometimes it's, all oh, we've got to do all these things, and like safeguarding. Trust me, Lizzie, I believe in safeguarding, okay? I do believe in it, okay? I think it's really, really very, very important. But so all of these things we have to do, and policy, and everything like this, and, and then you think, in the early church, they only had to do four things. It was really easy. They just had to like, believe what the Bible was saying. They had to meet together, they had to keep Jesus at the centre, and they had to pray. Bingo, that's it. It was a really good template for what church was life was like. And so this morning, we're just going to look at what does it mean to fellowship together, a culture of, like, honoring one another. We had a, a Trinity elders, and Jonathan O'Neill came down and joined us, as we've agreed that they will come and do. We loved it. It was really good. We met at Andy Cooley's house, and we, we just said, oh, we in, in this church, we want, one of the goals is to build a, a culture within this church of honoring each other, delighting in one another. So, here you go, because I know you're looking at me very vacantly. Could you please just turn to one another and say, what do you think would be one way that you can just honour each other in this fellowship? It's a real question. You just got to turn. You've turn. you got to turn to somebody. And you have to come up with some really good answers, because we're going to feed back in a moment. Okay? Are we good? Have you got a few answers? Anybody want to suggest some really good answers? Yeah. Very, very good. Whenever you have a church pick, always bring more. Whenever you take a packed lunch anywhere to a conference, take two. I did it the other day. It was fantastic. Somebody came and said, oh, I haven't got any packed lunch. I said, oh, I've got one here. Bingo. It's really good. He gave, I gave him the best bit, the salad. That's a really, that's a really, really good bit. Yeah. 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 Say that again. How, okay. How could you be kind? Okay. So that example there. Fantastic, there you go. Just be kind to one another. Uh, anything else? I just appreciate people. Yeah, Florence. Help them do something. So if they need to do something, like carrying something, you could just help them carry something. Or, yeah, it's a great example, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, encouraging, uh, when something. Yeah. Yeah. If you see something good, just tell them. Tell them that they, what they've done is brilliant, is really very, very good, yeah. Okay, That's quite a big thing to do, but I think that's an amazing thing. <laughs> Build houses for people. Yeah. Build houses for people that don't... <laughs> That'd be an amazing thing to do, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be good if everybody had really massive houses, like bought a slightly smaller house, put all the money in a pot, and then bought, built a house for somebody who didn't have one? That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Chris... Just There are so many things. We want to build something. So I I had some of these things of constant encouragement, recognise what people are good at, always speak well of one another, have language that builds up one another. Oh, that is something about what it means to be a fellowshipping together. John 13 verse 34 says this, that by this all men will know that you are my disciples. What? If you love one another. The the way that we sort of like connect with one another and build each other up and encourage one, I just need to let you know, it's not just so you feel nice and fluffy. It's like so people will be saved. So that there'll be people who have an eternity in heaven with Jesus because actually you are kind to somebody or you helped somebody, or you spoke and encouraged. It, it speaks to other people. You know, there's the very fa- wait, I don't know, but it's a very famous second-century theologian who lived in North Africa, like Tertullian, and he said this. He imagined non-Christians talking about Christians, and he said, see how they love one another and will willingly die for each other. That's quite a big corner, isn't it? That sense of, oh, no, we, we are for one another. We want to see... Everyone flourish. Okay, so what we're going to do now is just we're going to skip on to Acts chapter 34. So those are the the general verses that um, Jonathan gave for this series on foundations, Acts 2.42. And then he gave me these verses. So if you can turn over to Acts 4, verse 32. Actually, verse 31. And when they had prayed, Acts 4, verse 31... And when they had prayed, the place that they were gathering together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not one needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses... So very good, well done about the whole thing about houses. You were in the Bible, we know that. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the Apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and bought the money and laid it at the Apostles' feet. I just need to let you know, this is not just a copy, a, a, a model of church. You've just got a copy, okay? So has anybody got a field? Oh, was my point. Read. you got a garden? Yeah, would you mind selling it, Michelle? You know? It's not, it's not something we just have to... If we've got anything, we just have to go and... Call. Although I do think sometimes... I do remember going to a New Frontiers conference and then um, somebody stood up and said, what do you think these verses mean? And he said, do you think they could possibly mean if you've got something, you can sell it and give it away, give the proceeds away? And he said, no, sometimes there is a... We, we should be doing that. There are sometimes we should be doing... It. I remember years ago, Jill and I, we had quite a nice Audi. Do you remember that? little A3? And uh, then there was somebody in the church that needed to do their law conversion course. but they, didn't, they just couldn't pay for it all. So we thought, oh, we'll sell the car. And we gave them the money. And then they did their law conversion course. And now Zoe has been practising as a solicitor for, I don't know, 10 years or something? We didn't, it, wasn't, it was quite an expensive course to do. We didn't pay for the whole thing, but I think we, you know, it was a grand or something. But now, but trust me, because we did that... We've, for all this time, we feel really invested in and in praying for Zoe's like career, and she's working. At, she's an immigration lawyer, and you're thinking, now there there are times when it's really important to do. But I don't think this, these verses ain't look. We all got to pull everything in together and just sell everything and give it all away. But this is saying that this is a consequence of something much much deeper. When you read these verses, does anyone think that verse thirty three is in the wrong place? Just have a look at it. Verse thirty-two: uh, They were one heart, one soul; nothing belonged to they had everything in common. Great. Verse thirty-three: And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, and great grace was on them all. It's a slight change. One, it's talking about caring for everyone. And then it's talking about the apostles preaching great power. And then verse 34, and then it goes back to saying, But there's no need. It's odd. Why put that verse in there? It's just weird. I think they've made a mistake. No, they haven't made a mistake. They haven't, because what they're saying is this that when you start preaching and when there's great power and when the room starts to shake, we're different. We change. It's not saying you have to go and just do this. It's saying, look, when the Holy Spirit is here and when we love Jesus as we did in worship and we're totally devoted to being in his presence, guess what? We just begin to change and we begin to do things slightly differently. It says they had all things in common, this stunning view of what the early church... And also, it, what happened is that when they began to do this, when the power of the Holy Spirit was there, when the room began to shake, and then they began to do things a little bit differently, guess what? The church began to grow. It began to grow massively, because it was so different from what the world was like around it. And the Bible is really clear. The primary problem... If you, if, Anil, if you and I have a problem, okay... The problem isn't a problem between you and I, the problem is between us and God. If we have our relationship with God sorted out, then actually our relationship is good. And everybody tries to fix all these problems here between you and me and'm. And no, actually, we just need to be worshiping Jesus, because when we worship Jesus, that's when we begin to change. That's when humility starts to creep into our lives and that's when we begin to submit to one another and love one another and then care for each other and then we see stuff and somebody's got need, yeah, we're going to give it to you. You know, like I sometimes think if, 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 Ukraine, if Russia suddenly withdrew from Ukraine and they stopped the killing, would there be peace? The answer to that question is no. There would be a lack of killing but there still wouldn't be peace because they would still ha- hate each other deeply down in their lives the only solution for lasting peace is for people to give their lives to Christ that's when we begin to see this dramatic change that it really impacted the early church some people have said is this uh, when everybody had everything common is it an early form of communism is it just a quick question any sociologists Social scientists? Is this communism? No. Who said no? Why isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Communism is a political construct. Okay, yeah? I'm um, depicted by ideology that is outside of being a god. Yeah. So I can't think of anyone. They're both very, yeah, they're both, very, yeah. So that's the deep, profound theological... <laughs> <laughs> I think that it, it's not communism for these reasons. And communism only relies on it being imposed. You know, that Communism would not work if it was down to people's free will. It just wouldn't. It's, coer- it's all about coercion. There is, nothing about co- this is, there is nothing compulsory about this whatsoever. Clearly, people own stuff. But they chose. They chose themselves to do things. They chose to submit to one another and give to one another. It was not mandated. They were not compelled on pain of... Communism Like basically relies on you, you're compelled on pain of death. <laughs> and it's a corrupt system and it's a godless system. But no, but this was something totally, totally different. And it was an action that came from a total... New identity. I was just even praying about it this morning, and you know, some people quite old-fashioned say, "Uh, "Have you been born again?" And you know, some churches use that phrase, and I, I always think it's quite weird, isn't it? Being born again, and but the reality is, in the early church, they had been born again. They were completely new people. The old had gone. They were these totally transformed from the inside. It was nothing to do with sort of like putting your hand in your or selling a field or a car or whatever. That, was, that wasn't the point. They were totally new from the inside out. They had been changed. They'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. They had new natures, new hearts, new attitudes. I think sometimes they surprised themselves by sometimes they, oh, I, I just want to do this. I don't really think that they woke up in the morning and they thought, all right, I've really got to be like Jesus. I don't want to be, but I feel I've got to be. It wasn't that at all. The Holy Spirit came flooding in, and they were dramatically changed. And then it becomes... Okay, uh, let me ask another question. You have to be brave to answer this. Who here would say that they identify primarily as working class? Anybody? Can I just say, there are some people, yes, <laughs> power to the people. You know, the church is often, it's quite a middle-class place. There are all these unwritten rules. <laughs> I know, because we talked about this with, with Michelle, and I talk about, like, and Michelle, yeah, yes, there are all these unwritten rules that you don't really know what you should be doing. And you don't really know how to respond in this, like, certain reaction, but one of the like, the glorious things about what the church should be like is that suddenly the whole thing of status it's all gone your job it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what job you have it doesn't matter your level of education it doesn't matter whether you see yourself as working class or middle class or it's totally irrelevant and the more we focus on Jesus together The more we think, oh, do you know what? We are so grateful for what God is doing in our lives. So, so grateful. And then it becomes this whole new identity. We love one another. We accept one another. It doesn't matter who we are. I I really, a good friend of mine, Clive, Clive Sharp, who leads the church down in the world, and we do loads of things together. He is more working class than anybody. I I mean, he's just, I don't know. How would you describe Clive, Michelle? He's a geezer. Like he's a, he worked the doors for years. He made a shed load of money from a fencing business. And by that, I do mean physical fences, you know, not like handling stolen goods and all that sort of stuff. But he, like, he is a. He, but we had these amazing discussions, and he's got a real heart, and he constantly challenges me. I think, oh, Duncan, we've got to raise up working class leaders. But the thing is, we can't do that if we just say, no, but we must really sort of like value We have to do it because we're utterly changed. That's the whole point of these verses. We're utterly changed, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where your background, your level of education, anything. They were totally, totally changed because they were citizens of heaven looking towards something else. And and it has to be this fact. That's why the early church was so good. If you look at the disciples, they were a bunch of lunatics. Some of them were just like mad. You do not want to be going down a dark alley late at night with some of those disciples. And yet at the same time, you had Luke. And you then had Paul. And you had these incredibly articulate, intelligent like, men. And you're thinking, they were this complete hodgepodge of people. But God drew them together because he gave them a new identity. And they built a church that changed the world. It was a phenomenal thing. Can I read you a quote from a guy called um, Martin Lloyd-Jones? who Some of you may know he wrote this book. I, just, I Occasionally I read Lloyd-Jones, you have to read it occasionally, he said this. The last person to be really happy is the person who is living to be happy. If you set out for happiness, you will never find it. Happiness must never be sought directly. And if you do not realise that, you will go wrong about happiness and about peace set up happiness or peace as the goal and you will never get there peace is a byproduct of something else and according to the bible it's being righteous before god so so if we want to have this sense of fellowship what it means to be like a church together you're thinking okay we're not just going to we're not just going to seek to be nice and kind but actually we're going to do that because we we're changed we are different people deep down within the fruits of the spirit are there and the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Everyone's saying self-control. We we once did a, a survey and we said which fruits of the spirit would you like uh, to preach on, and they said self-control. Okay, what else? Self-control. <laughs> okay, calm down. Self-control. That was the one that everybody really wants. But you think no, but that we have to see the fruits of the Holy Spirit growing within us, and we only do that. By worshiping Jesus as we did this morning, laying everything down for him. I uh, also, you know, sometimes you don't choose the order of scripture, do you? You don't choose the verses that come afterwards. And then I, I said to um I said I met we met Jonathan and Anil on Thursday night and I said, Oh, we're gonna preach this, Acts 2, Acts 2, 42, and then we're gonna go to Acts 4, verse 31. But then the beginning of Acts chapter 5. Oh, it's not so nice, really. And should we just leave Acts chapter 5 out? (laughs) Could we? we? Because it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which isn't quite so encouraging, really. So let's read Acts chapter (laughs) 5. What what time do you want me to stop, John? Right, 2 o'clock it is. Who was that who was that snoring? No, okay, so uh, ten, 10 minutes, okay. 10, ten minutes, okay, we go. Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read this because sometimes you have to take us where scripture takes us. And I also have to tell you that I don't understand every aspect of this. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. So we have Barnabas, who's this guy who had a field and he sold it, bought the money to the apostles. Great, well done, Barnabas. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan so filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was was sold, was it not at your own disposal? Basically, you could have done what you wanted with it. Why was it then that you contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, gulp, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, for that amount. And Peter said to her, how is it then that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear... Came, I'm not surprised. And great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard these things. Um, well, I think the best thing is that it's a bit of a downer, isn't it? <laughs> great church fellowship, this is really good. We can care for each other, we can share. Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, right, that's not quite so helpful. But why, is it the, why does it say it here in Scripture? What is it about it? And I think, you know, if I'm totally honest, I don't think I've ever preached on these. I've never preached on these passages before, which what it means is that at the end, I can just run or you know, I can go. But I, I don't understand it. But a few things just to let you know. It, I don't think Ananias and Sapphira, I don't think they died. I don't think they had a, sh- a shock heart attack because they'd suddenly found out. I think they'd, they, they knew. They knew what had happened a long time ago. I don't think either it was Peter pronouncing judgment on them. But all I do know is that this... It, this precipitated an extraordinary growth within the church. Now, I would have thought it would have done the opposite. I would have thought, well, I'm not going anywhere near that. I'm not going anywhere near that. at all." But instead, the church grew. And it says thousands of people came to a saving faith in Jesus. It's weird. Why did that happen? Anyway, so we'll leave there and we'll just carry on, shall we? Uh, Firstly, I think it was this. Ananias and Sapphira, they were under no compulsion whatsoever to give that. They didn't have to give anything. They could have just sold it and kept it. But what Peter saw in them was a a level of hypocrisy and dishonesty. And Ananias and Sapphira, they abused trust within the fellowship. They came and said one thing, but actually they knew. within. Was it the first time they'd ever done something like that? What do you think? Yes or no? I don't think so. I don't think it's the first time they've done. I think they must have had a pattern of doing stuff like that in their life. But right at the start of the church, God broke in. God broke in and said, "You are. This is not. You're not just like happy society. Okay. You're not just like some club that talks about religion. You're not some club that comes together. You're not like a community choir. Okay. You come together and you have nice singing up there. You know, it's all really nice. And you're not a community club that fundraises." Okay, you take an offering. No, you are not a society like that. You are a, society, a group of people where the power of the living God breaks in. It says the room shook, and what God is trying to say to them is like, like you are not just this group of people. You are a group of, and the power of God is going to break in to you. The power of God is going to break in to this community. You're going to be changed. You're going to be different. You're going to be radically, radically different. And it's not, you're not going to be a society that's nice and kind and generous. You're going to be a society that is transformed by the power of God, and then you become nice and kind and generous. And it's really, really different. What these verses really are saying is this, that there is an unseen reality in this room. Let me, let me a little bit of a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's a very short one, and then we'll crack on and we're going to pray for the unseen reality to break out. The place where the early church was was shaken, and that is is what makes the church. In other words, the first thing that we must realize about the church and about the truth which she represents and holds before the people is that it matters not what the people do, but what has happened to them. What matters above everything else in the world is the reality of the unseen spiritual realm. If you get hold of this, it will transfigure your whole life and experience. What he's saying is this do not just think you're a bunch of people coming together. You're a bunch of people coming together to experience the power of the living God. And that's what happened in the early church. They didn't like it, but somebody came and was dishonest and tried to deceive, and God came, God broke in and judged them. But no, we must be a people that think, no, we want the power of God to break in. When we meet, whenever we meet together, when we're going to the, the, the Holy Spirit night at Christchurch, I don't want to go there and just go to another meeting. I've got loads of things to do. I really like gardening and it's going to be a nice day. And there's lots of sports to watch on TV. I, I, would, you know, I don't want to go to just another meeting with a bunch of people. I want the power of God to fall. That's what I want. more than I want my life to be turned upside down. To be radically changed. it doesn't, that, that is what I long for more than anything else. Focus our, our, our attention on the unseen realities. Not, not look to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. And sometimes we think, okay, I'm just going to focus on like paying the rent or paying the mortgage. Uh, what's going to happen with Boris next? What am I going to watch on Netflix. What am I going to do this afternoon? I've got a job review coming up. No! God's saying, no, there are the unseen realities. Focus on what? The unseen realities. The things that you see, they're just going to pass. Your job re- review, okay, trust me, in about a year's time, that will count for nothing. What you watch on Netflix what, will count for nothing in about two seconds after you finish watching it. What happens to Boris might have a slightly longer effect. But that, no, that's not the, lo- the long-term thing. It's the unseen realities of God wanting to break into our lives. And radically changes to see thousands of people change. And Hatfield totally turned upside down with the gospel. And I, I think sometimes I think, not get a grip. Don't focus on just what you see. Sorry, I was getting a little bit wound up there. <laughs> but I, I, I'm preaching to myself as well. I hope you understand. I think I'm so consumed with what I see now. But, but God is saying, no, focus on the unseen realities. What God wants to do in power in your midst. And he'll change you. And then it'll change what church looks like. I think the other, that, to finish, is this story of Ananias and Sapphira. It says that if God wants to break in to bring good and to bring hope and to bring purpose and meaning and salvation and grace and wisdom and kindness and love, guess what? There's also Satan who wants to do the opposite, who wants to get a hold of your life. Satan is trying to influence the world. He's trying to influence Hatfield. He's trying to influence Trinity Church. He's trying to influence this church. He's trying to influence me and he's trying to influence you. And I think... That's what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Satan was getting, he found their weak spot. And then they lived it. And sometimes in the Bible, you see this, like, you see this like, progression of people being tempted, and then they fall into sin, and then they start agreeing with sin, and then they're really, there's, you give the enemy a stronghold in your life. And, and you can just see this progression, You're thinking, "No, God, I don't want to do that. Uh, can I just make some area of uh, public confession? Is that right? Is that right? If I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I always want to pay like my taxes. I always want to do that. We had an extension done at home, and the builder said, as they often do, "Of course, it's this amount if you pay cash." And I just said, "No, we're not going to do that. It costs us tens of thousands to do that." Okay. So I'm happy to do that. But yesterday, I went and bought some wood for our garden, some oak sleepers. The guy said to me, yeah, 165 quid. I got out my card. He said, oh, no, you can't pay by card. It's cash only. And I thought, oh, come on. Basically, he was saying not pay the VAT. And he said, you can go online and pay it. And then I went online to pay it. Online, 198 quid. What did I do? Like an idiot, I went and got a cash. I paid him cash. And I just thought, Duncan, you're so dumb. You, you do the right thing when it's tens of thousands, but when it's 33 quid, you take the easy route. And I just thought, I don't want to give... That was, I think that was a sinful temptation. It's not wrong to be tempted, but it is wrong to fall for it. And I fell for it. But I don't want to, then I fell for it. I had to come back to God and say, God, I'm, I don't even know what to do with that 33 quid that I should have played for that because I can't go and give him an extra 33 quid. I don't know what to do. But, but I think, no, I don't want to agree with that. But I don't want to give the enemy a foothold in my life. I want to be really sensitive to sin. I don't want to sort of like just allow it to, to breathe in my life. I don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira who they probably did that years, like for years and years and years, and they got used to it, and they got so used to it that it just became part of their life until one day, bang, God judged them for it. And God, please don't let me do that. And I'd encourage us like, to be really quick. You know, if you there are areas of sin in your life, deal with it really quick. Don't allow it to sort of like to breathe, to breathe and to, to breathe and to grow larger and larger. But no, God, God wants to pre- break in. God wants to give grace. I'm not going to beat myself up too much about it, but I need to work out what to do. I need to talk to Jill. She'll be the wise one. She'll tell me what to do about that. But the way that we live with one another, the way that we fellowship, is because we look closely to God. We deal with sin. And we allow God to change how we deal with one another. All those things. Encouraging one another. Okay. Uh, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to finish with... One story as uh, a <clears throat> and uh, Claire, where's Claire? Claire was saying, Oh, what, what song can we have to ministry at the end of okay, I know, you just decide now. I've, who knows? <clears throat> you, I had a real fish allergy. Have I told you about when God healed me on my fish allergy? I'll tell it very quickly. I had, a real f- I had a fish allergy that caused me to go into anaphylactic shock. I went into anaphylactic shock once with it, okay? And fortunately, there was a nurse that knew roughly what to do. So I had this allergy sh- since when I was about three or four. It- fish would burn my skin. If I put fish in my hand, it would like it would burn it and think, ow, that was really sore. Um, <clears throat> but then um, Simon Walker, who like I know, Helen, you know, and a few other people, they- Simon Walker stood up at this meeting and said... <clears throat> uh, uh, he had just been healed of an allergy. We met his daughter and, and actually a few weeks ago, and she told us the same thing. And he said, I'm going to pray for anybody who's got allergies. I stood there, I sat there in this meeting, and a friend of mine that we've been on holiday for years and had known all about my feet, he said, Duncan, get prayed for it. And I said, No, I don't need to, it's fine. I, I don't really, I don't feel, I've just lived with this allergy, I can cope with it, it's fine. And he said, No, get prayed for it. I said, Okay, okay get prayed for it. Simon and a few others came and, and prayed for me. Simon Walker, who was a leader of the church over in, in Bristol and' now in Cardiff, he came and prayed for me. It wasn't pretty, because as they prayed, I felt something demonic came out of me. Okay, I don't want to be too scary about this. But, and it, it, but it was scary, but I thought I was going to vomit. Honestly, so I was in this leaders' meeting thinking, "This is really embarrassing. I was standing there like this thinking oh my god you're doing something and at the same time I could feel something like going to vomit from me and I thought if I throw up in this church building it's not going to be very pretty anyway they prayed for me I didn't actually physically vomit but I went back home and I said to Jill I know categorically that Jesus has healed me of my fish allergy and I went boy with the whole story but we went and had a little bit of fish and tried it a little bit and then Jill Jill was worried and we were going on holiday and she's thinking no don't do this because then it's going to ruin the holiday that's her main concern if I'm really honest and (laughs) and but so I'd been leading a church for years and I had this I think I'd given the I think what like what I'm trying to work it out is this that with me agreeing with that allergy, I'd given the, the devil a foothold in my life, I think. I'm not, I'm not in any way saying that all illness is demonic. I Genuinely, I'm not. Sometimes, you know, we're just ill It's because we live in a fallen world. But I think for me, what happened is that I'd accepted this, and I felt I'd given... Actually, I, I gave the devil a, a strong a foothold in my life. We continue to pray for Dawla who died you know, three weeks ago, until the, until she breathed her last. Because we never wanted to agree with it. We always wanted to say, God, would you break into this situation? So, I think the, the issue is that sometimes we can give the enemy a foothold in our lives. And Christians can have demonic strongholds. We can have demonic strongholds. And if you have areas of sin in your life, or you areas that you struggle with, I'll just encourage you... Pray that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, that God gives you the grace not to accept that as who you are, but say, you know, God, I'm going to see, I'm going to move on. I'm going to see you break in and bring freedom over my life in that area. So what I'd like to do is, firstly, we'll, we'll pray for healing. It seems really silly not, you know, to talk about healing and then not pray for healing. But then if there are other areas where you think actually you're giving the enemy a strong foothold in your life, we'll just pray that God will bring freedom for that. And then at the end of it, we'll pray that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit sweeps through the church afresh in every way and in every day. That God's goodness breaks out amongst us. Is that okay? Can I ask you to stand? Yeah, can you come back here? Yeah. 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 Holy Spirit. Oh, yes. Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you. to to come into our lives again and to shake them. Holy Spirit, we say you you have freedom in our midst, Lord, right now. Lord, we recognize we stand here because of grace. Not that we're good enough, but Jesus, you made us good enough. And we pray that there would be the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Lord, it would flood this church. It would sweep through this church again and again and again. That we would be utterly transformed. That we would be so changed. Because, Holy Spirit, you have free reign in our lives. And we say, Come, Lord. Come, Lord. And the story of Ananias and Sapphira is at the beginning of acts 5 not to condemn us but to be using it as a story to say no come now that you might be free that you wouldn't walk that way and if you are aware of an area of of compromise or of sin in your life today jesus can break any stronghold any stronghold The gospel is good news. That is why it's called good news. It's good news because you can walk out here not burdened with a load of guilt and shame, but you can be free in Christ. And he comes, he's going to pour his Holy Spirit upon you that you would know freedom to be able to look your saviour in the eye and to say, no, I am your friend. Jesus any area of compromise that you are aware of, any area of sin that you know is present in your life, just come now and bring it to the foot of the cross. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to him. Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that your cross came. You went to the cross because you carried us in. And so all these things, we give them to you. Any area where we have given the devil a foothold in our lives, we say now, in Jesus' name, come and break those strongholds. Break those strongholds, we pray, O oh Lord. Father, we thank you. And Jesus, we say, come and break into our lives. Come and break into our church, oh God. Come and break into our families afresh. Jesus. Father, thank you.